0: Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Ash Hamilton, rehab specialist and osteopath, man. How are you?
1: I'm good, man. Thanks for
0: having me. Mate, you're welcome. Uh, what's been happening?
1: Not a lot. Not a lot. Um, transition to a new clinic, uh, moving uh, suburbs on Saturday, and yeah, just getting in the role of it for 2022.
0: Tell me about that. What's happened with the change, or was brought on the change?
1: Brought on the change? Yeah. Um. Look, it kind of starts back about 18 months ago, but been kind of really trying to find where I want to go, how it connects and I've kind of had a bit of tastes of different environments, different scenes and it's kind of helped direct me in certain directions Mm -hmm. and about a month ago kind of evaluated things and um, nearly left the industry to be honest with you.
0: Really? Um, Yeah. I'm surprised to hear that because you know, I think you're a uh, really worthwhile voice in the industry, something that the industry needs and from everything that I've gauged in my observations or experiences with you is you're a pretty passionate guy about what you do. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. And I, I think that
1: there's definitely a degree of that. And I think I've, I've started finding my voice. I've mm-hmm. started getting a little bit louder on Instagram and yep. kind of posting my, my opinions and views and trying to keep that respectful at the same time. And mm. I think that a month ago when I kind of sat down and kind of evaluated things, there was part of me that was like, why am I unsure about the industry? Mm. And what would kind of like keep me in it to kind of like, you know, keep that fire, like make me want to get up every day and keep doing it. And um, I think I've started finding that and now I don't know what it is, but there seems to be momentum building behind that. And yeah, I'm, I'm passionate again. so
0: That's good, man. I yeah. mean, I, I understand what you mean in a sense that, you know, I even as somebody who's quite passionate in, you know, the fitness wellness space have a lot of distaste for the industry. And have found myself at many times feeling, I guess, exhaust, exhausted or somewhat done or frustrated with it, uh, which perhaps has at times been more indicative of the need for change and my own, uh, I guess, evolution within the space of which I'm working with. And perhaps maybe it sounds like you've kind of done the same thing there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Is, is it things that have kind of like come up for you that have kind of really made you reflect on that? Um,
0: without being a bit, a little bitch, it's kind of <laughs> like, um, I know how hard I work. Yep, I know where my motivation comes from, mm. uh, being quite a deep rooted place, uh, of emotional care, I guess. Um, and then seeing an industry that could be described as nothing other than saturated by a lot of bullshit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of bro science, a lot of, um, you know, just Instagram influences that have really blurred the lines of uh, things that all fall under the umbrella of health and fitness. Mm. But there are so many unique pillars that could include bodybuilding, could include powerlifting, could include general population, uh, sh- rehab, strength and conditioning, um Naturopathy, nutritionists, dieticians, uh, somewhat pharmaceuticals. You know, it, it's a big umbrella. And uh, I think those lines get really, really blurred. And I think it's important that we take the useful pieces from all of those different facets within it because they're experts within their niche. Mm. But I think uh, there's, there's a big gap in where um, I suppose people have an ability to dissect that and then help apply it to themselves. Um, and, and I guess that's just where my frustrations, I guess, long story short there, come in in that perhaps the value we have to bring at times gets diluted or washed out because of the noise Yeah, that surrounds us. Does that make sense? Yep. I, I you feel a bit the that. same? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So if you didn't, well, there's two things I want to ask you. A, have you found, it's not really a question, but more rather than a statement that I understand, you know, it it is somewhat personally challenging at times to put your voice out there and stand behind your opinions and just give it a run and see where it rolls because, you know, just like assholes, we've all got one. And Mm. when you put yourself out there, you are vulnerable to people's, you know, uh, feedback or criticism of it. How much of that you value is, I guess, up to us as individuals. Um, So I applaud it. But my question I was going to ask is, okay, if you found yourself doing something else, what would that be? Because I've had to ask myself that same question at times and I find it really difficult to to find the answer to that with comfort. Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Um, There's a few things that have kind of come up. One of them was like construction. Mm-hmm. and uh, I've done a bit of labouring in my past when I was at university, and there was something about that environment that I just enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it was partly because it was like a team environment. Um, you're outside, mm-hmm. and I did like the luxury of, you know, you go to work at like seven, you finish at four, you switch off yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the day, mm-hmm. and that was something that I quite enjoyed. Um, the other thing that has become quite a passion, a bit of a value is, I guess, psychology and human behaviour, mm-hmm. um, and You know, just like most things, it's like if you found benefit in something, it then becomes like this value of yours. And I kind of had to decide, it's like, do I want to go down that psychology route and like, you know, maybe go back to university, which was a scary thing to think, you know, another six years. Yeah. On top of already having done six years. So that was something that I was definitely pondering um, because I've seen the benefit that that's had in my life. Yeah. And you kind of talked about putting stuff out to social media and stuff like that. And long story short, a lot of the the stuff that kind of got me into this was I went to an accountant Mm. and they said to me, they're like, Ash, you don't have a business issue. You have personal issues. And I was kind of like, you know, didn't expect that type of answer. And long story short. And if it hit hard, it probably was true. Yeah, 100%. And it kind of made me step back and be like, whoa. And then, you know, went down the rabbit holes. But putting yourself out there is something that I struggled with. Mm -hmm. And the more I tap into like psychology and overcome those things that were holding me back, the more I'm able to get my voice out there. And, you know, there's been times where I've kind of like gone hard on social media. I maybe put put something out there a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit um, something that's, I guess, triggering or confrontational. Mm -hmm. And I'm sweet. I'm like, oh, that felt good. It wasn't that scary. Mm -hmm. And then I go back into this rabbit hole because, you know, maybe a mate makes a joke about it or someone that you respect or someone that you know value their their opinion of you maybe says something, and it kind of makes you start being like, oh, I don't know if I like that.
0: Um, so I, I get that completely, especially like starting out on social media, you know, business ventures maybe even 10 years ago nearly. You know, I felt a great degree of that, the whole faking it till you're making it kind of thing. It's like here I am talking to an audience of 200 people. Like who gives a fuck about what you're doing in the gym kind of yeah. thing. And, um, you know definitely was subjected to many judgment amongst the friendship group. And, you know, it's probably taken, you know, five years at least until perhaps some of those judgmental voices actually then return full circle <laughs> with their hand open going, hey, have you got two cents for me yep. about what they're trying to do now? You yeah, know what yeah, I yeah. mean? Which which, is a nice little little tick it when is. it comes around for sure. But, um, mate, something you said there, like how much – it's such a positive message because how much of our physiology is affected by our psychology? Oh,
1: I, I didn't realize the extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, the more I kind of explore my own self, yep. the more my physiology changes. And, you know, I've, I've gone through a bit of, you know, some times where like my physiology started playing up. I've had some gut issues. I've had anxiety. I've had like a range of different things. And like, I had no idea that it was linked back to my psychology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, now one common thing that I see in clinic is like when someone's had a big injury or an injury, there's usually a psychological stressor around that period in their life before they have this onset of maybe symptoms or maybe it's back pain or a range of
0: these things. Well, how much does psychology and mood change posture? Yeah. Which probably goes into lifting technique because of just where you've spent your time. mm. uh, you'd 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 be more credible on this thing, but when people talk about posture, you know, and corrective exercises sure there's things that will probably be advantageous for us to incorporate on a more frequent basis to address posture or structural balance and function and so forth but at the end of the day i believe that your posture is i suppose an end result or a uh, reflection of just where you're spending a lot of your time and if you're in a low state of consciousness and mood mm. perhaps that's having contribution to posture yeah
1: yeah. And uh, it's, it's funny you say that because I was talking to another osteopath yesterday about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't have a big study to kind of confirm this, but I've started observing some things and it's foot shape, right? And mm-hmm. let's just simplify it and say that it's like a, a flatter foot and there's more of a rigid foot. Mm-hmm. And talking to some people that I know, just even how their physiology seems to be different depending on that foot shape. For mm-hmm. example, I have a friend who has an uh, extremely flat foot has behaved in some very, like, you know, sympathetic, you know, really, like, energy-driven, like, behaviours, like, lack of recovery, and he seems to perform. And it seems like he's more robust.
0: So, for those listening, we're talking about sympathetic, not as in empathy, but rather the nervous system. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. So, more of a fight-or-flight, very, you know, go, go, go type mentality. Mm -hmm. And he seems to be very resilient, very robust, seems to be able to go on with his day. Mm -hmm. And someone who has more of a higher arch it seems to be those people seem to have like their nervous system isn't able to tolerate as much stress yeah right. um, they seem to have certain issues with certain movements um, and if you kind of break it down if you think about like a foot even if you wanted to say metaphorically speaking it's more grounded there's more surface area touching the ground And then someone with a rigid foot, they've got less surface area touching the ground, they've got less sensory input. Mm -hmm. And it's been
0: interesting to observe because I've got a bit more of a rigid foot. Because people traditionally kind of label flat feet as a bad thing. Yeah, they do. But do you think it's probably what's more important is rather its function than necessarily its appearance? If someone can go...
1: So I believe in like continuums or like you know um polarity or left right up down internal rotation external rotation sun night you kind of get the idea yeah and it's like if you have a flat foot that's one side of the continuum but then you've also got middle and then you've got the other side which is more of a higher arch and it's like if someone has a flatter foot but can get themselves and create an arch and then go back into a flatter foot well then you've got a full range of motion sure it's when you can't get out of a certain position or out of a certain state or you can't, you know, as we talk about the nervous system, more of a sympathetic, you know, fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. Issues arise when you can't get out of that into more of a parasympathetic rest and digest. So that's when I see issues arise is whenever someone is stuck on one side of the continuum and it can even take this in terms of an injury standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's like people are really good at going into shoulder flexion. What happens when you look at the other side, shoulder extension? And you'll find that a lot of issues arise. Um, so what I, you know, one of my biggest approaches is literally find out where you are on that continuum of like, you know, left, right, middle, down. You kind of get that thing and then give them what they don't have. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, someone's very sympathetically driven. If you can get them into more of a parasympathetic state, you usually notice that the body and things start clicking and working out really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's saying that of kind of thing. And with like kind of back to your posture thing, if you look at the ability of kind of like to produce force, we need to be able to produce force. And usually that's associated with a flatter foot. So I like to relate things back with injuries to like gait. So like walking, I believe functional is like breathing and walking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when someone walks, we start by hitting the ground with their fo- with their heel. We then rock onto like a f- foot, which is called like mid stance. Mm-hmm. And then we go into a toe off position. Now, a lot of the time to be able to produce force into the ground, we need to be able to create that flatter foot, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And what I find, and I'm t- going to try and link this back to like posture, is that people that have a flatter foot can produce more force into the ground. And that, I don't know, it seems to be linked to this a uh, greater ability to withstand stress and force. And it's kind of like, I'm going Bit on a tangent here, so no, please no, no. try Keep going. and link it in. I'm going to go break off and say, if you've ever seen someone who has anxiety, right? They're very chest breather. They're like breathing through their mouth. Their chest is up. Their ribcage is flared. Yeah. Right. If someone was to stand up on two feet, shoulder width apart, they would to take a big deep breath in, kind of like you had a bit of anxiety. Your chest is going to come up. Your pelvis is going to come forwards a little bit more into an anterior tilt. And your center of mass is going to come forward, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the time, if we think about this, if you're on the edge of a cliff, right? Mm -hmm. And someone was, if you were to rock forward, it's like kind of like you go into the tippy toes, weight in the front of the foot. It's kind of like you're falling. All your posterior muscles have to kind of hold on Mm -hmm. and be like, we don't want you to fall. You know, your erectors, the muscles from your neck to your back, those train track muscles hold on for dear life. You know, you've, your rib cage is up, your core's not in a great position, and these people are very far forward on their foot. Mm-hmm. And you can say that's like the same as a stress response. And those people that are very far forward, they usually have those higher arch feet. Or well, the nervous system's not going to be able to relax if they're in a constant state of contraction. Exactly, exactly. And those people seem to be the ones that can't put force into the ground, because they're so far forward. And if you think about gait, that last position where you're far forward is mm. that toe-off position, right? Mm. You don't have much surface area on the ground. You're not grounded. And they're the same people that don't seem to be able to tolerate when life gets hectic, something happens.
0: It's a really interesting connection.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> and like, you know, for myself, there's been times where I'd go out, you know, have a few drinks, regret it the next day. And I'd look at myself in the mirror. And my arch would be extra high. And I'd be like, all right, sweet. What do I have to do to get myself back into a parasympathetic state? I'd exercise, I'd eat well, I'd go to the beach, I'd ground myself. Mm-hmm. And I'd suddenly start noticing there's a lot more movement in my foot. There's a lot more surface here on the ground. I feel a lot more calmer. And it's been an interesting like, connection that I've made. And it seems to be time and time again, the people that have, I guess, a lot of head noise mm. also seem to have very high rigid feet. Also don't seem to be able to tolerate a lot of stress when life gets hectic, and they seem to be the ones that struggle when it comes to producing force into the ground
0: yeah that's really interesting and I mean yeah earthing it's such a simple and um, probably something that we 've taken for granted you know what I mean in the in the modern world modern world we have this physical disconnect from the earth's surface surface. Due to you know high-rise apartment buildings and modern footwear, you know, like mm. how many of these postural or even just functional issues do you think uh, being, um, I guess, magnetized by the wearing of modern footwear? It's you know, what I mean, like I look at so many people's, like the first place I start yeah. in an assessment is at the feet. Take your shoes off for me. Cool. Perform this. Perform that. Mm. See what you can do okay, lift your big toe for me without lifting any other toes off the ground. So many people can't don't have even the coordination yep. to get there. So, you know, if you can't even neurally connect with something, well, how do you improve it? And, you know, we've got to get some blood flow going and it, everything goes upstream because, again, if you have – we're talking about high arches being a bad thing, mm. perhaps in the state of your nervous system. But as we've identified, it's more about the ability to function them rather than be set in the one correct, place. Correct, correct. And if those people can't create, I guess, that short foot, and create the arch, well then what do we have? We've got, I guess, pronation mm. of the ankle, which then is internal rotation of the, the femurs, so exacerbated, which could be exacerbated by big Q angles in the female population, even worse by high heels wedging their feet into the triangular shoe, yep. anterior pelvic rotation, arch the back. <laughs> now we're looking at the sky, which we don't like to do. So to bring ourselves back to the horizon, we have to bring that head forward. And you can see all that neck pain could actually be coming from the foot. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah, I mean, I try and get barefoot mm. as much as possible. Um, there's very good research out there about barefoot connection with the earth's surface and, you know, cortisol reduction, oxidative stress, all those kinds of, uh, I suppose, elements. It, it's it's funny because it's it's such a simple and basic thing, mm. but it makes such a difference. Yeah, it's like when you feel better because you've been at the beach, it's not just because it's warm. Like, there, there's <laughs> there's some things going on there beyond just the obvious, you know?
1: Yeah. And one thing that I really like, and I guess I was drawn to your page in the first place, was you seem to keep going on and on about the basics. Mm -hmm. And it's it's funny because a lot of the time, you're putting out your content of what you do in a consultation. Oh, yeah. But people want the fancy. They want the quick fix. They want the instant gratification. And, like, I say to a lot of people, how I treat people, most of my content is on my page. Yeah. You know? It's but ironic, isn't <laughs> it? Then they want to pay me Yeah, and I'll do the same thing. I, I sometimes feel bad because it's like it's, it's on my page. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one thing that I've kind of really kind of had to strip myself
0: back and kind of come out of those rabbit holes. And I say it's like the, the fancy stuff and the party tricks are cool. Yeah. Right? And they're great to have and they have a time and place. Absolutely. But that one percenter counts for probably less than it's one percent. Mm. if the 99% is not there yeah it's like if you can't do the basics of movement and you know food sleep uh and probably psychology mm. you know you're going to be setting yourself up for a pretty shallow bottleneck yeah you know
1: and i i think i've been attached and that's one thing that i've had to really strip away is like so many areas in my life have wanted that instant gratification now mm-hmm. the fancy even between you know personal development In my field and outside of fields, I'm looking for that quick fix. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even example of I I did some gut stuff many years ago, had every supplement under the sun and things didn't improve. Mm -hmm. What was one of the most basic thing? I was under eating. Mm -hmm. My body was in like this prolonged chronic state Mm -hmm. of like, you know, not getting what it needed. And as soon as I went into like maintenance, the surplus, the food quality wasn't as good, but things improved just because I was under
0: eating. Yeah, there was more nutrients available one way or the other. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that was just an example of like, I was wanting all these supplements, these things to kind of like fix things, but I wasn't nailing the basics of, am I eating enough food?
0: I think people just overlook the simplicity of what that word means. Supplement. Mm. Like you're supplementing what you can't get in the nutrition, you know? Yeah. Rather than people doing it the wrong way around. And, And again, there's a spectrum of these things. Like if I'm dealing with you know a high performing CEO who's on 400 grand a year and they can afford the whiz bang of everything and I know I'm going to accept their limitations of time availability while also having a family and having their responsibilities there and cool all right you're not going to get your nutrition perfectly but you have a budget that you can afford a thousand dollars a month on supplements yeah well cool There's no, that's not detrimenting anything to you. So let's do that. We'll do the, I'll give you the best that you can get with what you're willing to accept because at the end of the day, it's not my decision Mm. here to help you in what way fits your, your lifestyle and your preference. But if you're, you know, someone who's just of the general population who's on, you know, let's call it the average income, Mm. that's not really a feasible option for you and shouldn't be where your priority and focus is. Yeah, It needs to be back on the basics.
1: And that's why I love the saying, like, you know, consistency beats intensity every time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, context is like, just like you said, context determines whether you need to get fancy or whether those rules change for that specific person. But everyone likes to think that, you know, the fancy stuff applies to their stuff, their Mm -hmm. context, when they're not even nailing those basics like you talked about.
0: So, man, how long have you been, because I'm... I'm appreciating everything I'm hearing from you. It's even, in a way, not necessarily what I expected uh, today. But how long have you been on this sort of path of self-exploration and delving deeper into your own psychology? Because that in itself is a decision that takes courage, courage, because often what we're delving into is something that we are dissatisfied with or that we, are, we don't like about ourselves, which is obviously having influence on the surface level today mm. about how you emotionally react to daily situations. And bringing that out of the subconscious to a conscious level, I suppose, empowers us to make change. But how have you found yourself on this journey? And how long for?
1: Definitely two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably the last years when I took all the learnings, you know, I, I think a lot of people like to read things, mm-hmm. but how often do we implement and action it? And that's one thing that, you know, a lot, a lot of things I've done in my life is I've read it, I've had the knowledge, but I didn't implement it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just like, unfortunately, it takes a lot of pain sometimes until we kind of wake up and be like, I want to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for me, that was when my ex left me. And it kind of left me with all these questions. And I'm like, started analyzing, you know, everything in the past, myself, my behaviors, because I was like, if I can figure out where I went wrong, she'll want me back. Mm. And like, that, that was kind of like a cool, you know, period of like, focusing on the past. Mm. But the, the real transition kind of came when I started realizing that it was nothing to do with my ex. Mm-hmm. That it was things that were just playing out throughout my whole lifetime that just were amplified and came out in the relationship, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I said, a lot of it came back to like business. And the reason for that being is like when I was at university, I, you know, was like everyone finishes with their, you know, their resume and it'll be like, you know, your bachelor degree and that you might do one course that everyone did. And I was like, I wanted to separate myself from every, everyone. So, you know, I did every uh, pretty much course in Australia and online that was available. You know, it was like my hobby. I spent thousands and thousands of dollars trying to get all this information. Mm-hmm. And then when I graduated, I was like, sweet, people are going to come to me. I have all this knowledge. I'm going to help everyone. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen. Yeah. And then I started getting bitter and then I started getting jealous. And anyone's success, that wasn't myself. I never was truly happy. You know, you, you respond to the, you, you know, you make, oh, that's awesome. Mm. but I
0: didn't truly meet it, uh, mean it. Um, I know exactly what you mean there. To be truly happy for somebody else's success means you, you genuinely love them. Mm. You know, yep. and that, that is rare. Yep. And
1: again, that like kind of took me a bit deeper and I think there's many elements that I could talk about because I've, I've pretty much tried to literally tear apart who is Ash Hamilton from when I was a kid to when I was at school to when I was in high school to when I was in university and pretty much strip it back. And I think the biggest things that have made the biggest change is identifying patterns and beliefs. Mm -hmm. So beliefs was like, you know, for example, all these things that someone in your life has said to you, or maybe it's an authority figure in that position. Maybe it was a teacher or maybe it's a parent or maybe it's a role model. And they've said things. And you've attached to it. And you've attached to it and you've believed it. Yeah. And, you know, one of them was, you know, at school was like every single report said, Ashley is a distraction. Ashley distracts others. (laughs) And like that was my story, or someone you know. I wanted to do advanced English, and they're like Ash, like I don't think you're capable to do English. And you know all my spelling errors that I'd send to my mates, they're like Ash, come on. And I'm like I'm bad at English, and it's like I'd attach this story to my identity, and I was letting all these things run my life. You know, could go further and say with my dad's, like me and my dad didn't have a good relationship, mm-hmm. and it's like that was a story that I was willing to hold on to pr- pretty much for the rest of my life. And the moment that I went in there, I was like, is this story true? And then even writing out a different story, you know, instead of Ashley is a distraction, Ashley distracts others. Ashley is an inspiration. Ashley inspires others. And it's like, bang, that story is not true anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you start seeing that this new story that you've created and chosen to live by starts playing out. So I think stories was one that I was, I let so many people influence things and it's kept me small. Mm-hmm. Um and you know even beliefs of like i was the black sheep of the family mm-hmm. and things like that and how that has a play out and it's like if you feel like you're isolated from everyone else mm. it's like you're never going to fit in you're never going to feel like you're part of the community you're going to potentially do things on a subconscious level to confirm these things mm. be like yep i told you they didn't love me they didn't like me all these things and i realize that they're not true mm. um and then the, the patterns one that that that's a big one as well um and it's kind of like where do you start but all these patterns and like one of the biggest things that has probably changed my life this year, which comes back to like, you know, in the, in the relationship was I didn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about getting out there on social media, if you don't
0: trust yourself, because people don't usually make actions. What, based do, what do you mean by trusting yourself? Exactly. Do you mean your opinion, like, your, your knowledge, your expertise? I think it's trusting
1: your word that your word means something. So, you know, if, uh, if you ask me and you're like, Ash, can you do this? And I said, yep. If my whole life, every time I've said, yep, and I don't follow through with it, mm-hmm. it's just pulling reference files and files into my subconscious or conscious and saying that I don't follow through. So yep. when I said something like, you know, the hardest thing with me was when I was with my ex, she said, would you ever do that again? And I broke down crying. I said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And the reason was, and now I now realize is because I didn't trust myself. I couldn't give my word and have it mean something because so many times my word hadn't meant something Mm -hmm. that it was of no value. And like for me, what I, what I've implemented,
0: people start to believe patterns of behavior of your word is kind of like the boy that
1: cried wolf. Yeah, exactly. And that was, that was my story in my life. It's like, I feel like I've, I'm very good at envisioning things. I have like big goals, but a lot of people like you're living in fantasy land, Ash. Because
0: it's like, but I, do you think that's other people pl- again, just like your child placing yeah. their limitations and projecting their fear onto you, that you're then choosing to believe their opinion over your own? That's, I, I'd say yes, yeah, hundred percent. And I get it. Like the, I resonate with so much of what you mm. said, man. And I've, I've mentioned in previous episodes on the podcast before the the sense of embarrassment that I still get today when somebody compliments, compliments me on my intellect. Yeah, when I went through school being made feel like I was the dumb one, and I was just the jock Mm. and good at sport and you believe those things. You know what I mean? And it's that internal dialogue
1: Mm.
0: and and needs to change for you to be able to change because they are the subconscious beliefs. You know what I mean? That that's ingrained from rehearsal of repetition. Yeah, And, you know, using, I guess, empowering language, you know, like rather than this flaky bullshit, like when we're talking about, let's say, let's do something extreme like sugar, for example. I'm trying not to eat sugar. There's no way you're stopping eating sugar. Mm. I don't eat sugar. Yeah. It's definitive. It's been decided. It's past tense. Even though how you said that, it's like, bang. Is yeah. It and you say that to someone, they're not going to argue with you. Yeah. If they do, hey, fuck you. Yeah. Give me some respect. I've made a decision. Mm. You know, if you've got a problem with it, that's yours. You yeah. Know, not mine. Yep. Yo. Yeah, but uh, I think for me, like,
1: there's two things that, like, if you want to take away all this personal development and patterns and all these things that you could potentially dive into, mm-hmm. that trust in your word has changed my life. And yeah. you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, that changed my life," but for me, it was finding a thing in my day, and like now, it's like I get up at 4:30 a.m. So. every single day,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and like for me, it's like. You wake up and my story in my life was I always got told that I needed more sleep than other people. Otherwise, I'd have a bad day. I wouldn't be productive. I'd be in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, if I was going to have four hours sleep, I'd, like, I'd start panicking. I'm like, you know, do I need to cancel work? Do I, you know, am I going to show up how I want to show up? Mm-hmm. And it's like when I wake up at 4.30, there is, it started off with so much head noise. There's excuses. You don't have to get
0: up. You've got another two hours. You know, what about your clients? All these things. See, I, I can't allow myself the time. To think, if the alarm goes off, I'm I'm out of bed in under ten seconds. Yeah. If I lay there, I'm doomed. Yep. Like I, but that's just my own self awareness. You know. I'm yeah. Like, Get out. And again, for me, that's why I love the cold shower. You know, we could sit here and debate about the pros and cons of cold water therapy and what it's whether it's good for you based mm. on. Sp- particular circumstances and your nervous system blah 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 i don't really care about that no, no. that's one of those probably one percenters that's not having a major influence mm. given that i've got the basics in place yeah but for me that cold water it snaps you into the present yep and so it quietens a lot of that that noise and it's
1: doing something you don't want to do and it's like i think when you show yourself consistently it's like i do these things it's uncomfortable you start building that trust it's like no matter what jack shows What's a up. habit Yeah.
0: Discipline and success, they're habitual. Yeah. Same as nutrition. Absolutely. All of it's habitual. If we're consistently relying on discipline, I've said this a number of times, you know, if you're constantly coming from a place of, you know, avoidance or scarcity and relying on discipline, when you get tired, you get weak Mm. and you will break. Mm. So it's got to be habitual so that subconsciously, okay, I'm hungry. What am I going? You know, the science shows us that people usually only eat like seven to 10 foods. Yeah. You know, of course, there's things that happen outside of that number. But for the most part, we're very habitual creatures.
1: Yeah. Mm. And I guess that's where, like, those habits... Are your habits aligning with where you want to go and who you want to be? Yeah. Um, And I think that's where, like, a lot of this stuff, if you start tearing it apart and start questioning, where did this actually come from? Why do I do it? You realize that a lot of it actually isn't because you chose to.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, mate, has this all kind of come about through... um the space of one-on-one psychology? Has it come about through, you know, obviously, you know, we're a product of who we spend our time with and mm. that can go into, you know, we're a product of the thoughts that we bathe in and that's going to come from the things that we read and the the podcasts that we listen to, the, the media that we engage with and so forth. So what are the things that have helped you make these steps in a positive direction? Yeah.
1: One of the biggest changes was I signed up for a, a men's group, four-month mm. mentorship, and there was like 20 men. Um, and we're given different practices each week and pretty much what it
0: was is it it pretty much questioned that in itself, man, is a big step though, because we as men are pretty inherently stubborn to go, I need help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And And to do it
0: in a group environment is quite confronting, maybe. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it was even more
1: confronting because the practices that we had to do, they challenged like masculinity Mm -hmm. and you had to do a live once a week to the group. And kind of like talk about it or perform that specific, um, I guess, ritual task or practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And that showed me a lot of things because it showed me one, that everyone goes through the same things that you do to some degree. Mm -hmm. All those, you know, maybe weird thoughts or things that you don't want to ever speak out loud, or you'd only, you know, tell a psychologist in like, you know, a safe space. Mm -hmm. Most people, and I can only speak for the you know, the men's side of things have experienced it, have gone through it. Mm -hmm. And, when you know a lot of these things as i said was this strip apart like you know masculinity and it was like you know one of the things we had to do was one week we had to put on like this feminine type music and dance live to the group (laughs) of men (laughs) and you know it was one of these things where it's like oh no like you know what are people going to think and then when you just realize it's like it's just a form of expression it doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean because you enjoy dancing or you know it's particular feminine music, whatever that is. But whether
0: they someone agrees with you or not, yeah. people love other people that don't care. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: And so that, that men's mentorship was pretty much like, it opened my eyes to, I wasn't this isolated person that I was not different to everyone else. And that I was similar to every single person. And one of the things that we also learned was this thing called like reflection projection. And at the time, I didn't truly understand it. But now it's helped me actually, you know, get to know myself a lot better. And it's like, for example, if you're an angry person and I don't want to be around you and I hate angry people, what is that showing in myself? And for myself... Probably a projection of your own anger. Exactly. And it's like I grew up where it's like anytime I was angry... I got punished or, you know, in trouble and stuff like that. So I was, I suppressed that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's weird. I had this feeling that I'm this, you know,
0: if anyone's, you know, got me to that point. Man, that's it. Like, I'm sorry to cut in. I just I feel you so much here because, again, everything, we live in a society that's obsessed with labeling things good or bad. Yep. And emotions are included in that. And anger typically gets put in the bad basket. Absolutely. But but it's it's not, you've got to harness that anger. It's a very powerful emotion that can Mm. be used in in so many positive ways, even if we revert back to, you know, more ancient times, that anger will keep you alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? That anger will give you drive. And I guess that's the sort of tug of war that I've played within Mm. my own psychology at times is, you know, understanding the journey or the change that, you know, that anger or or something that I could probably even describe as uh, intense as rage Mm. that was serving me, not, not serving me, in obviously a very positive manner and was, you know, creating undesirable experiences or outcomes. Yeah. And then being able to, I guess, uh, deflate that ego, which is very much in partnered with the rage and the anger mm. to a point where, okay, that's really therapeutic. Yeah. And I'm at a lot more, you know, I've found a sense of peace now, but now also being a little bit protective of that anger and go, Hey, don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. That's still an ingredient that can serve you well. You've just had to reinvent your relationship with it. Mm. And that's because it. Because that's your drive. That's your motivation in many sense. That's your ability to execute the idea that you were talking about, that if you don't, mm. it's nothing.
1: Yeah. And it was like, yeah, when that anger comes up, feel it. Like, you know, what's it telling me? Mm. And it's like, we learned, like, um, like, tools. Yeah,
0: analyze the emotion.
1: Exactly. And like, you know, tools like, you know, pillow bashing or like cup in your mouth and like, screaming in your hand and shaking it because at the end of the day emotions are just energy emotion yeah and it's like once that passes you're sweet but it's when you suppress it and like don't let it out that it like it contracts it builds up it is it going to play out like in like subconscious ways to other people
0: things you say and it's like for me just acknowledging it's been really helpful to just like socially like we could be having a conversation right now and you give me an opinion and i'll be like ash that's made me feel real angry yeah i don't know why yet But just bringing it, acknowledging, hey, I'll feel that. Yeah. It's, I think, just been such a helpful tool to just acknowledge the emotion. Mm. If you can separate your emotion from the acknowledgement and that you're not actually being controlled by the emotion, just recognizing and then talking it out, I think that's so healthy and constructive for any relationship.
1: I think it builds trust. Like if you said, like, Ash, I'm angry right now, it's like I trust you a lot more. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just kind of like let it, you know, build up and didn't say anything, it's like, and then let it become this unpredictable, like rage. It's like, I don't trust you.
0: Mm.
1: And it's like when people are able and it's like, again, you could go to the other side of the spectrum. It's like people that think that... Well, it's authentic, isn't it? Exactly. Mm. And the other, the other side is the crying side, you know? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've spoken to mates that haven't cried in like 15 years and yeah. for them, like, you Do know... You believe them? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's part of me that, that does. Maybe some of them, but I reckon some of them are on. But then, yeah, there's also the side because they've associated that, you know, shame. it's weak. It's, yeah, you know, it's it's not masculine. It's, you know, um, a sign of, yeah, weakness. And it's that shame. And
0: when you realize that it's just... And that's interesting because how much of your anger is probably not anger, it's shame.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, do you do much breath work?
1: It's something that I do... On and off, mm-hmm. I think that I'm trying to find where it fits and everything, because mm-hmm. I think just like any rabbit hole, people like be like breath work. It's it's going to change your life, mm-hmm. and then you know there's all these different types of breath work that you could do. Um, for me, I'm trying to do breath work in terms of more of a cardiovascular nasal breathing, because I know that's going to be more beneficial for my aerobic energy pathways. It's also going to be more beneficial for my rest and digest ability mm-hmm. to get into that. So that's my form of breath work mm-hmm. and it works for me. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, take breathing and be like, all right, what part of breathing works for you? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what are you going to use? Like you don't have to do Wim Hof. You don't have to do all these other types of breathing things. If you love it, if you enjoy it, it works for you.
0: Do it. Yeah. I don't mind the Wim Hof. It's, it's, it's quite cool. It's, uh, for, for me, it's, it, I find it um, similar to the cold water therapy in that yep. it brings me to the present. Because when you are not breathing for two, three onward minutes, mm. it's pretty hard to be thinking about anything other <laughs> than how bad you need breath and what you're trying to do is basically ignore that uh, overwhelming sensation to breathe. Yeah. And uh, that in itself is very present. Yeah. You know? But yeah, how much – Um, I mean, I think a breath as well sort of <clears throat> flirts with – you know, grounding and earthing in the, these things that are overlooked or mm. under considered given their impact uh, that they have on health. Like we look at mouth breathing, right? In um, the problems that that can create in terms of, again, posture, jaw structure, and dental structure. But also, you know, we're missing the four part filtration system through that our nose that that actually provides for us. And the sinuses produce what? 60, 70% of the body's nitric oxide. So we're looking at vasodilation. So that's going to go into obviously physical performance and recovery, but also sexual arousal, uh, erectile function, um, acetylcholine production. So yep. your neurotransmitter responsible for memory, mood, probably dreams. Yep. Um, you know, So many things that are just touched on there. And as you mentioned, it's rest and digest. So mm. very parasympathetic in nature. And um, yeah, it's just something that I think we take for granted because for, for the most part, it's very autonomous. Mm. We don't have to consciously think about breathing. But, you know, mouth breathing, it's such a it's a relevant thing that we're seeing more than ever. And it's probably coming from multiple uh, areas, whether that be the shit foot posture that's got you in a forward head, um, you know, posture. Whether it be, you know, the malnourishment through your developmental stages to actually produce or create a, a good your structure, whether it be sleep posture, where you were back sleeper or your side sleeper, I don't know, it's kind of these things. Like, have you ever done mouth taping? <laughs> Firstly, I, I love when you speak because it's like your ability
1: to go into that depth. Oh, I could speak to you all day about it. Um, started doing mouth breathing last week actually. Given you started that, like doing
0: mouth breathing,
1: uh, sorry, mouth taping. Got you, yep. um. Yeah, because I, I started reading a book um, called Oxygen Advantage. Mm-hmm. And it again talks about all those things that you were just talking about the the benefits of breathing through your nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I'm a chronic mouth breather. Yep. You know, wake up in the middle of the night, dry mouth, that type of thing. Um, and when I did that taping, and I started doing it in the day because I was like, I want to see what it's like when I'm awake. Yep. And then I'll implement it when I go to bed. Mm-hmm. And like, I instantly had this urge of anxiety. Like, I just felt on edge and i didn't realize how much i crave
0: mouth breathing yeah right um but well, after- it is a confronting idea because usually when i float it to people for the first mm. time they're like are you crazy you're a psychopath <laughs> you're trying to kill me <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> yeah but but afterwards i did it for about four hours
1: mm. even how i spoke and articulated my words i was so much calmer and I just had more energy, I had more clarity. And as you said, all these benefits of nasal breathing that if we have fallen into this mouth breathing state, it can have a cascade of like health implications. Mm. And if we look at the basics of you need to breathe to survive and we were given a nose to breathe through, mouth breathing is more of a stress and you know, sympathetic um, type breathing style. Mm. It's like you are missing such a... Uh, fundamental pillar of health mm-hmm. by neglecting it but again people look at all these fancy things and it's like are you not sleeping you know because you don't breathe through your nose or do you have to go down the supplement pathway because you might be deficient in one you know B6 or something it's like people want to go that way mm. but it's like what's standing in front of you and it's like you can't breathe through your nose
0: mm. yeah yeah and uh, for me, I, I sort of first discovered that I had some issues with it when I was, again, we've, I've gone through some stages of having some compromised gut health, which has largely been brought on by lifestyle, but um, that I was eating foods that were triggering some histamine. Mm. So I'd get stuffy in my nose. And then obviously when you're asleep, well, i got to breathe. And if I can't breathe through my nose because of histamine congestion, <gasps> then you start doing it. And then exactly waking up, feeling like... I cannot believe it's morning time like I feel like I just fell asleep there is no restoration and just exhausted and dry in the throat or you get things like you know chronic tonsillitis or something mm. something like that because again these air pollutants that perhaps aren't being filtered by the nasal system you know
1: yeah and one one aspect if you want to look at breathing even from like a rehab movement standpoint right mm-hmm. Saying that in the, the movement rehab space at the moment is everyone's talking about breathing and rib cages. Yep. And I've been down that rabbit hole and I've kind of come back out, but it's still a very relevant component, an underlooked aspect of even training that people don't think about. And if you want, let's talk about shoulders, right? Mm. And it's like you've got the rib cage, you've got the shoulder blade that slides on the rib cage, and that positions the arm bone, right? Mm. Typically, people look at the shoulder, they're like, you've got a shoulder issue, right? But like, let's strip it back and look at the fundamental, kind of like you talked about the foot with potentially like neck pain. Mm-hmm. The rib cage sits on the lungs. What's going to move the ribs? The lungs. And it's like due to a lot of stressed kind of environments, people don't breathe in this 360 degree of their rib cage and certain areas can't move. Mm. And I kind of refer to the rib cage as kind of like the road, right? Mm-hmm. And the shoulder blade is the car. And it doesn't matter how good the car is. If you're driving on a shit surface or a shit road, it's going to compromise everything else. Mm -hmm. And using different breathing strategies and getting expansion where there's all this compression Mm. starts getting more movement. When we've got movement, the body feels safer. When you've got like one option, like the body goes in this, you know, stress state. It's this scarcity state. And it's like, what I've found is if you improve how the rib cage moves getting movement from side to side. A lot of gym training, it's a lot of this fixed bearing <gasps> in through your mouth kind of breath, whole compressed state, which is sweet if you want to lift as much weight as possible. Yeah. But what about outside that? And getting movement in the rib cage using the breath is then going to allow the shoulder blade to slide better on that rib cage, which is then going to position and put um, you know, the shoulder muscles, the rotator cuff posi- uh, muscles in a better length tension relationship. They're now able to do their role of stabilizing the shoulder but pe- everyone looks at the shoulder and says, oh, you got to do these exercises. And it's like, what mm-hmm. happens if the shoulder blade or the shoulder's in a bad position because the shoulder blade can't articulate and slide it correctly? Mm-hmm. And like a lot of the time, winging on the shoulder blade, right? People are going to be like, serratus. And it's like, if the shoulder blade and the rib cage are meant to articulate together and they're not sti- sitting well, it's like—is it because the rib cage can't expand to meet the surface of that that shoulder blade, mm. or you're going to blame a muscle? Mm. Um it's And a that's bit of the chicken and the egg, almost, isn't it? it very, yeah. And, and I
0: mean, I think you know the, the, the diaphragm itself and the core—like they're such—they're really misunderstood mm. parts of the body. And do you know Baz Rutan? The uh he's. Hall of Fame, MMA, used to be UFC. He's actually got the mouthpiece that's his product because he was yeah. asthmatic uh, yeah, right. through his career and he started using it. I've actually got one down there and you can change the the holes on the side. So obviously yeah. the smaller the hole, the harder it is that the diaphragm has to work because of the amount of airflow. Yeah, and you can use it while exercising or while walking or doing cardio and so forth. Um, which is, and, and you feel it, man. It's ripping you. But he explained it more as like, you know, the, the muscles of the diaphragm are essentially controlled by the breath and then when people are doing their abdominal work you know that that nasal diaphragmatic breathing and exhalation to help with your perception of contraction Mm. you know is such an important part but he kind of explained it as rather than like think of a balloon like the lung yeah that as you fill the balloon with air that that pushes and expands the rib cage but he kind of discussed it as that the muscles of the diaphragm imagine like gluing onto mm. the balloon and that's what's pulling the lung open to allow the airflow into and i thought it was just a, I like that. it was just a really interesting way to uh think of it and explain mm. it for sure but you know it, it is it's one of my pet peeves you know talking people talk about their core like, everyone gets told to turn your core you got a fucking f45 they'll tell you to turn your core before doing this movement but what does that mean yeah like i know what my bicep is like i've been yep. squeezing that since i knew <laughs> that i was three years old watching superman you know but what the fuck does turning on my core actually mean? Mm. And, you know, for the most simple way to explain it, I say to people like, mate, what would you do if I was going to punch you in the stomach right now? You go, mm. you kind of just did it yeah, without actually having to think. But then, you know, adding a bit more context to it and breathing. We've spoken about mouth breathing and mm. nose breathing so much. So, you know, breathing through the mouth, we engage the muscles of the upper neck and the traps and the shoulders will elevate and you're, you're not really utilizing that diaphragm I've, Almost think that like I've got a ping pong ball in my esophagus, and as I'm breathing through my nose, I'm trying to push it down. I like that into the the abdomen. But yep. then once we've got that brace, so like you know, we're sucking in, filling that with air, and then holding that pressure, mm. and then actually being able to maintain that tightness while I'm here, still talking and while still breathing, it's just a whole another level of core training that I don't think is actually given the respect that it deserves as no. a skill. So, you know, people are wearing weight belts. Weight belts don't keep you safe. That's a tool yeah, to create neural connection for you to push into. But just having it on is like wearing a condom with a flaccid <laughs> dick, you know. It's a waste <laughs> of time. What are you doing?
1: Yep, yep. And then you have the people that wear it when they're doing like a lap pull-down or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. It just it confuses me, you know. Yeah. But, but there's one of the many, many things that we see in gyms of bro culture. Oh, Absolutely, and like, if even want to talk further with like the breathing,
1: you know, one thing that I, I kind of teach people is, you know, let's talk about inhalation or breathing in is more of a sympathetic kind of movement. Yep. Exhaling is like more this rest and digest. Yep. A lot of people, their rib cage is stuck in this inhale position and even just getting them to do a long extended exhale where their ribs can deflate mm. kind of go into that parasympathy if I breathe out and put my fingers on my abs well, it's almost like an eccentric diaphragmatic contraction though yeah and it's like I feel <coughs> my abs just yep. by breathing out and it's like yeah. what else is breathing important for mm. it's like your diaphragm helps with like your lymphatic system mm-hmm. a lot of people that have these chronic conditions and inflammation conditions, what I do is I go in to the diaphragm, release it. They're nearly in tears because it absolutely sucks. And then they,
0: afterwards that, I can breathe. Well, what about, um, we could we could go further with that even. What about, we could look at detoxification or we could also look at just even uh, losing losing fat, so mm. burning fat. When we look at fat oxi- oxidation, I'm giving away the answer there. But most people assume that when they're losing fat, it's coming out in their sweat. Mm. You know, fat is oxidized and comes out through our breathing. So if you've got a compromised, I guess, breathing function, Mm. then I would assume that that's going to play out somewhere in your ability to mobilize and burn fat. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, you've, um, you had a post recently and I want to sort of wrap up on this topic because... Again, I think it's really interesting. We should never wait for science to give us permission to do the uncommon, which was a quote by Dr. Joe Dispenza, which reminds me of uh, one of the people that I've learned the most from, uh, Charles Poliquin. And, you know, he was always, I guess, science-based but not science-restricted in the sense mm. that people criticised him for a lot of his uh, methodologies used for, you know, two decades mm. that yielded athle- um, Olympic medalists. And if he had waited for the research to come out to validate his opinion, Mm. he probably wouldn't have had those Olympic medalists. So tell me a bit about your thoughts on such topics. I think it kind of starts with even like, you know, the degree
1: that I did at university. And Mm -hmm. I say that, you know, osteopathy. And um, I say degree at uni
0: because it's like how I treat now. A bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of this. Yeah, and I can kind of that I was hoping that'd tie into it because you know, you do a lot of strength based rehab. I'm not sure how much manual therapy you do, mm. but I think comparing those two with their placement and you know, I'm interested to know your opinions on how to bet and you obviously do it in the way that you think is best for the client. So yep. yeah, hit me. Um yeah,
1: and osteopathy, it's a lot of people will look at it and say it's you know, it's woohoo, it's like there's no science. There's no science to say that that works. And it's like it's very hard to do a study, or a, you know, get you know, do the the thing required to validate it through science to say that works. And it's like, how are you going to do a study to say that your big toe is causing your neck pain? Well, there's too many variables. Exactly, and that's what you need with science. It's like you need to be able to control these uh, variables to be able to reproduce it enough times to
0: say it is science. Anecdotally, though, if you've seen it. Happen a hundred times a lot. We said we learn to believe patterns of behavior. So if you've seen same experiment, that's not backed up, Mm. but it brings a positive outcome. Yeah, exactly. And I
1: think, you know, if if I was to flex my arm and I feel my bicep, I don't need science to say your bicep flexes your arm. It's Mm. like when you start understanding how things work, you can start piecing them together. You start learning different systems and see how they interrelate. You can start problem solving like that. And if I was to wait or read a research article to determine whether I'm going to try or implement that thing, it's like, you're going to wait too long. Mm. And it's like, I, I feel like there's so many people that are like, you need evidence-based. Where's the research to say that works? And it's mm. like, I understand the research is important for, you know, especially in allied health to say you're doing safe practice.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you need... it's quite a governed body, isn't it?
1: Exactly. But it's like kind of like everything. It's like you need the science, but then you also need this anecdotal... Like, this is how the body works. If I understand that, I can
0: piece things together and see what's missing. Well, there's got to be room for innovation, right? Exactly. So, what um, what do you think about manual therapies? Look,
1: if you asked me five years ago, mm. I would have said it's a waste of time. Yeah. Um, and, like, just like everything, it's like I, I dipped out. I kind of, you know, went hands-off. That's what I do with my online and hence the hands-off osteo. But now I also appreciate where it fits. Yep. And I think with the body, it's everything is literally manipulating the nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like if if you do soft tissue and that person feels safer, come even if they believe it works, which is going to help influence then it the nervous will. system.
0: Placebo. Yeah,
1: and it's like that's going to downregulate things. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, who's more biased towards the movement stuff, mm. that necessarily might not work because that person doesn't believe it, or their nervous system is so jacked up that they're not ready to do that. Let's do some soft tissue. Let's calm the nervous system down. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to be in a better environment, which, you know, as we know, environment dictates a lot of things that we do. It's now going to have a better result when I transition into the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's like appreci- appreciating both sides. Just like I said at the start, is a continuum. Mm. And it's like both sides are polarity. And it's like
0: you need both. I couldn't agree more. I think synergistically they need to work with one another because, you know, the nervous system is what governs range of motion, right? So yep. it'll detect weakness. Therefore, cool, you can go dry hump the foam roller and feel good and loose, but if you don't now address the strength in that newfound range of motion mm. within a day or two, you're probably going to find yourself cramped back up into that tightness. So yeah, yep. we, need a, we need them both to work in conjunction with one another to c- perhaps create that temporary range of motion that can then you can work on improving stability in that range safely, ultimately, hopefully, in time giving you that improved mobility. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you want to look at the psychology, it's like you go to a counselor, right, or whatever, mm. you work through something, you feel great. What happens when you go back into the real world and face that situation? Mm. It's like, are you going to be able to integrate that? Is your nervous system going to be able to tolerate that to then make these lasting changes in your life? Yeah.
0: Um, and also, by, and if you're not improving after months, mm. well, it's it's a biochemical issue. Yeah. So absolutely. maybe it's nutritional stuff. You know, if the muscle's not healing, mm. <laughs> oh, what are you giving it to heal? Yeah. You know?
1: And that's where I think that you need to appreciate all these things of how they work together. And I, I think the more I do this, the more I think you need to become a bit more of a generalist. Oh, yeah. Instead of a specialist. Because oh, yeah. as you said, when, when are you going to look at nutrition? What happens if that person's under eating or not getting the nutrition? Or what happens if their recovery is shithouse? Yeah. And then like people, you know, as practitioners, and that's another story for another day think that they're shit or not getting good results because they weren't able to help this person mm. but they missed the things that were the linchpin or under or the interference that's impacting their ability to benefit from the intervention that you provided them.
0: 100%. I believe that so heavily that the future of whether it be medicine or health is requiring good generalists. Yep. Someone who has an understanding of the basic fundamentals of all aspects because at the end of the day very impressive the knowledge that someone can obtain by becoming a specialist but Absolutely. they know more and more about less and less yep you know so yeah mate thanks heaps for coming in that's been a really in-depth conversation that i've uh, thoroughly enjoyed ben so good to catch up with you good to nah. talk to you mate where can people find you that are listening instagram's probably the best bet yeah um so just dr.ashhamilton hamilton
1: um and from there you can find services content um and you're welcome to reach out and message me if you have any questions
0: Beautiful. All right. Good man. Thank you, guys.